so I can go and I can win a gold medal. And and then I come home and I still got to pour concrete. Like I have to work to earn this. And I think that keeps me grounded. Having a real job uh, in the summertime to pay for this. And that's my favorite part is people don't understand that side of things. Welcome to The Other Three Years, a show for anyone who has an Olympic-sized dream they want to turn into a reality. Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of The Other Three Years. This week on the podcast, I have Olympic gold medalist Nick Baumgartner, and Nick is a professional snowboarder for Team USA and a four-time Olympian. He won the gold medal in the inaugural mixed snowboard cross event at the 2022 Olympics and was the oldest member of Team USA's contingent at 40 years old. Um, Nick also just released a new book. It's called Gold from Iron that shares his life story so far because he is still competing at age 42 and hoping to compete in the 2026 Olympics. I had a great time chatting with Nick. I feel like I I learned a lot and it was just a really fun conversation. He shared a lot of awesome insights and I think everyone will learn a lot from him. But first, I wanted to share an update on what's currently going on in my training. So I'm in Colorado Springs, um, still at the Olympic Training Center here. We are in our second of three weeks here. So definitely feeling the training and the altitude and everything. But the really cold part of the time has passed. So the weather is getting better, which means that we can get out for some uh, hikes and runs and just like spend some time outside, which it was a lot of very, very cold days and a lot of some serious indoor time. So it's really nice that now we can go outside and that it's not like negative five degrees. Also a crazy thing that happened is that a pipe burst in the gym that we uh, train in and water was like truly gushing from the ceiling, um, from like the lights and everything. And it was crazy. Like the whole thing was flooded. It was insane. And it was also crazy how quickly they were able to fix all of it like they just lickety split fixed everything um we couldn't get in for like 12 hours and then after that we could get in again and I think some of the equipment did get kind of damaged but like luckily where all of our ergs were was on like a raised platform in the basketball gym that we're in so none of that got messed up and all of the weightlifting equipment and everything was fine. And I also think most of the, like, I think a few things in, like, PT room got a little bit damaged. But for the most part, like, there's a lot of equipment in there. And I think everything was pretty much fine. So that was really lucky. Um, but, yeah, we've been doing some other, like, testing. They're doing this functional movement screening, which I haven't had mine yet. But a lot of my teammates have had, that have had theirs. And I'm super excited to do that. It's, like testing all your different muscles and different like sides and seeing um, just like if you have equal strength and equal flexibility and all of these things so that you can see like what um, things you need to work on or like what's different between your left and right side or what different parts of muscles like aren't as strong as others. Um, so I'm super excited to do that test. We did a like much shorter version of it last year that was only 15 minutes long and wasn't really that in depth. And this year, the the one that we're doing is 
an hour long. People have been there for an hour. So I'm super excited to do that. Um, let's see other things that are exciting. It's almost the weekend again, which is nice. On Sundays here, they have a waffle machine, which is very college style, but they also have like fresh berries and fresh whipped cream that you can put on the waffle. So that's very exciting. And yeah, I think we're going to get some time off on Sunday. So that'll be fun. Maybe get out and do something. We are going to hike the Manitou Incline on Sunday, which I think will be really fun. I'm super excited for that. I didn't do it last year, so I'm pretty excited to do that. I think it's like a very famous and cool thing to do in Colorado Springs. So hopefully it's not too snow and ice covered and hopefully it's not too hard. I think it's like pretty hard, basically 30 to 40 minutes of just straight stair climbing. But I've done quite a few Harvard stadiums in my day. So I think I'll be, I think it'll be hard, but I think I'll be able to manage. Um... I've just been trying to, you know, get some get some work done for work and rest and recover, have meals with different people, read. I've been reading a bit, but the days go by really fast here. Like we're really busy with workouts, two or three workouts every day and eating and recovering. And it's like getting a little bit of time for work. And before you know that, before you know it, the day is just over. It's actually kind of crazy. So... It's everything goes by a lot faster than you think it's going to. It's crazy that it's we're almost on our third week here. It's actually gone by faster than I thought it would. So I'm excited for our, you know, the rest of our training here, but then I am excited to get back on the water. So excited to crush the last, you know, week and a half of ergs and hard indoor training at altitude and then excited to get back to Florida and, you know, hopefully translate some of that speed to the water. So now it's time for my conversation with Nick. I'm super excited to chat with you and congratulations on the book. It like launched today, right? Yeah, today. It was, um, what a day. It's been crazy just waiting for it and the anticipation and now we're here and now the world gets to see gold from iron. Yeah, that's so exciting. Um, maybe we can start just talking about that a little bit. Like how long was the process of writing it and what kind of inspired you to write it yeah um it it happened shortly after the olympics with all the buzz and the excitement after the olympics and um we were just uh, we started talking to some people and it started happening then then it happened quick the big thing was they said do you know a ghostwriter and i was like i'm a snowboarder i said i know some (laughs) other snowboarders i don't know if that helps but i said i do know a guy that wrote the best article about me ever and uh Maybe he'd be into it. And that was uh, Jeff Seidel from the Detroit Free Press. And uh, we reached out to him and he was, oh man, you could just immediately tell the passion and how stoked he was to be a part of the project. I found the right guy and that's very important. I think that goes to show surrounding yourself with the right people, good things can happen. And uh, it worked at the Olympics and it worked in my book. Yeah, no, 100%. But just in terms of like actually like writing it, I feel like that must have been I don't know if like cathartic is the right word, like because I'm sure you had to go through kind of your whole career and stuff. So how was the experience of, I don't know, almost like reliving everything? Well, I think the coolest part is so that I, I would just I became a storyteller. Right. And I told all mm-hmm. these these amazing stories and everything that's in the book. But when I was telling the stories, Jeff was losing his mind. Oh, my God, you did what? And 
And just having that kind of passion and excitement on the other side made it super easy to just keep going with it. And uh, we hung out a bunch. He came up to where I live, up in the Upper Peninsula, so he drove like seven and a half hours. Me and my son went to his house with his family for Thanksgiving. We just found a way to hang out a bunch and just tell stories, and and, uh, it was a fun process for sure. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I ordered it today, so I'm very excited to read it. Yeah, I love sports books anyways, like in athlete stories. I don't know. I just feel like we can all like learn so much from each other. I guess that was also a catalyst of like starting the podcast, but yeah, um, it's, been, it's cool. And I think you, you'll be surprised. There's, I mean, I'm a snowboarder, but there's so much other stuff. Um, I was racing trucks professionally. I had some crazy uh, accident down in Mexico while we were racing trucks. Uh, just some wild stuff that I think people are going to go, wait, what? What did this guy do? And I, I used whatever little bit of fame and name that I made in snowboarding. And I just started asking people and I started just running in there and going, hey, here I am and I want to do this. And uh, it worked. And what a crazy thing. I mean, you don't know. The answer is no if you don't ask. And I asked some crazy questions and people gave me, uh, fortunately, yeses. My coach told us this like this crazy story of this guy that spent like a whole year asking questions he thought people would answer no to like just the most outrageous questions and he ended up like I can't really remember the whole article it's like a New York Times article but he ended up getting all of this like crazy like people just started saying yes to all these crazy things so my teammates now ask the mo- my coach the most like ridiculous questions just because like maybe the answer will be yes so I to- totally understand yeah, like, you, got- you gotta ask <laughs> you gotta try <laughs> yeah but just to like give everyone like a little bit of background on you and on your career, how did you like get into, because I read that you started snowboarding when you were 15, right? Yeah, I was definitely late to the game. Um, yeah, so, so how, did, how did that kind of come to be? So I have three older brothers. One of my brothers, Josh, started the scene here in the Midwest, kind of in, in the Upper Peninsula. And as a young kid, I thought my brothers were cool, so I followed my brothers into this. And um, not only did I do it to try to get their acceptance, but I wanted to beat them in something, right? I've done, I followed them into every sport that I could and and, uh, snowboarding was just natural to follow them into. Um, I started doing it and there was a local competition series here in the Midwest. And I did that my junior and senior year, USASA. And um, I got invited to the nationals and because I was doing other sports and my family didn't have the money to send me to the nationals and I wasn't working. It just, I had to uh, decline the invitation those two years. And then, then I went on to college, uh, played football in college, found out I was too immature for college. Uh, and so after the first semester, I needed to take a semester off and kind of figure out what I was going to do. Went back home, started working at the ski hill, did the same competition series, qualified for nationals again, but now I was working. I had a full-time job and I had the money to go. And as soon as I went to that next level, and got out to the national competition and pulled out of a gate doing border cross for the first time. I looked at everyone around me and I said, I'm going to do this for a job. I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure that I get to do this. And um, I remember in high school, I used to watch the X Games, Sean Palmer, and watch these guys and go, man, I wonder if I could beat those guys. And I think a lot of people will look up there and go, these guys are so lucky. So lucky to be able to do that. And just by changing that thought process from these guys are lucky to I wonder if I trained, if I could beat them. It started me on this journey, and um, here we are. 19 years later, I've been on the U.S. snowboard team for 19 years now. 
which is crazy to think considering that the kids on the team are younger than 19. <laughs> and uh, here I am, 42 years old, still um, competing at the highest level, which is crazy to me. But um, I think it it makes me really think that I picked the right discipline in snowboarding because of the longevity. So even though I got a late start to the game and didn't start competing professionally until I was 22, I'm making up for that on the back end because I can do it for so long because experience is so important in my sport that it kind of makes up for that, that loss of fast twitch muscles, that loss of explosiveness and strength and all that stuff that you lose as you get older. But here we are and we're um, pushing it as long as we can. See if I can do it for a couple more. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's that's so awesome. And I, the sport is, like, so cool, but I feel like it's not – like, it's awesome that you were able to do it, you know, being where you were from. Like, I assume they don't have – do you still call it border cross? Because I read it's now called, like, just snowboard cross that they changed the name. But, um, well, it's, it's snowboard cross uh, X games used, they, they patented the name border X. And so okay. it kind of gets somewhere in the middle border cross, snowboard cross SBX. Okay. There's a couple different names, but yeah, snowboard okay. cross is the, the proper name. The Olympic name. Yeah. Like how many kind of sites and like places do it? Like, is it just more popular than I real, than like most people realize? Like, do they have, you know, snowboard cross tracks like all across the country or is it absolutely yeah, I would assume not. no right <laughs> yeah it's it's crazy and to think so my my local ski hill is less than 400 feet tall so um one we didn't have wow. a snowboard cross course two we didn't even do snowboard cross so when i went to the nationals event i showed up and i asked the organizers can i do snowboard cross and they said um did you qualify and i said well we don't really have that event and they're like, well, absolutely sign up. And then so just by chance, and again, because I wasn't afraid to ask the people, they allowed me to do it. And just by pulling out of that gate, I was like, I'm going to do this. But yeah, it's very difficult to find tracks. So we have to travel for that. Everyone goes, do you train locally? And I said, not for my sport. For my sport, I go to wherever in the world builds a track and allows us to come train on it. Yes, we have to pay for that because um, snowboard cross tracks are not cheap to make they take a lot of snow they take a lot of manpower and a lot of cat time so we got to do what we can and go where wherever we have to to be able to do this and um, fortunately for me i was able to get on the u.s snowboard team very very early in my career and to get that support because i would have never been able to travel to where i needed to and to been able to afford that to go to these places like south america asia i mean we're all over europe we spend most of the winter in europe now so it, it gets it gets difficult for sure. And now as the sport has progressed, you're seeing these kids starting snowboard cross at a very, very young age. So the level and the riding is, it, it's crazy to think how far we've come with our snowboard cross, how fast we're going. The equipment is specially made for what we're doing and it's only getting faster and faster, which is quite crazy. Yeah. I mean, that's so cool though, to like have been a part of it, you know, over the years and as the sport advances and develops and stuff i feel like that's that's so cool um it's been it's definitely been fun to watch how like when i started we were on just regular snowboards that you that you buy at a shop and we were racing on those and even at the 2010 olympics some of us were on regular snowboards 
I won my first World Cup on just a regular production-made snowboard. And then uh, after 2010, it, it kind of changed and everyone started going on uh, sports-specific snowboards that are e- even more expensive and, and uh, more they're faster. They're, they're incredible snowboards. So um, it's definitely evolved a lot since I started. And it's fun to be a part of that process for sure. So the tracks themselves, did you have access to like a world championship track or like an X Games track or an Olympic track? Like they change, right? So do you know what that is in advance and then you can kind of practice it? Or is it just like right before the Olympics you would get on that track and have to learn it quickly? Yeah, usually for an Olympics, they do a test event the year before. Because they have to do a test event, make sure everything's going to work. They got everything lined up so that there's no hiccups once the Olympics comes. Uh, this time around, we weren't able to really do that because there wasn't uh, a, a possibility to go there with COVID and with everything going on with the pandemic. So we did our test event in November um, of 2021, so just a few months before the Olympics. So, but. I was able to um, look at that track. I did very well on that track on the test event. I took the bronze uh, medal at that event. And, um, and when I went home, I got home and I built a track around my house. I have a flat yard and I, have, I took a snowblower and a shovel and I spent 30 hours building a track. And I built that specifically knowing that the last straightaway was just rollers headed to the finish line. And I wanted to make sure that no one was going to out pump me. So I made rollers all the way around my house. So I could do circles around my house every morning. I'd get up and I'd do 10 circles around the house, uh, completely burn myself out and then go to the ski hill and and work on my turns and stuff. And uh, I think it paid off because at the finish line in that race, that gold medal run, we were coming around the last corner and these guys are hot on my tail and trying and trying and trying to pass me. And I just kept staying just a little bit ahead of them. And I think that goes from, from taking that knowledge from seeing the course uh, a few months earlier and, and building what I had here. And, and that goes back to not believing the excuses. I could have came here and said, well, I don't have a track. Um, I can't do that. But instead, I spent 30 hours building a track. And that not only gave me an amazing track to train on right outside my door, but it kept my mind off of the the stress and the pressure of the Olympics, because here I am, I'm an eight year old boy making a snow fort in the yard, having a great time. Neighbors are driving by looking at me, shaking their head. Like what is wrong with this guy? And then uh, a couple months later, I think they probably understood that there, there's nothing wrong. (laughs) (laughs) No, he's smarter than we thought. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Olympics seemed like, or the most recent Olympics, 2022 Olympics seemed like quite a roller coaster. Like, I think one, I really, it was really amazing how kind of honest and like open you were, you know, after your individual race. Um, um, But I also can imagine that like probably being able to have those emotions and just like let it out helped you kind of get ready for next race, right? Like, I don't know. What was like going through your mind? Like, I don't know how many days it was between only a couple, right? Yeah, it was like 48 hours. Yeah. So how did you kind of like, did you compartmentalize or did you feel like you were able to like work through everything? You know, how did you get ready for that, that next event? 
Well, I, I think it goes back to just the experience, the 17 years on tour. I mean, I've I've failed and I've fallen short many times before this, right? Um, obviously, that interview was um, quite vulnerable. And it's one of my favorite interviews I've ever done uh, in the fact that it was so honest and it was so raw. I always joke. I said the, the goal wasn't to show the world that I was a crybaby, but I'm glad they got to see it. Someone like me, a, a masculine athlete out there trying to to go for Olympic gold and not afraid to cry and show that emotion with everyone and, and show them how real it is for us. So doing that, but I, I think the best part about me picking myself up I did that interview and the world saw it and the Midwest went crazy. I mean, with the amount of messages I got from people back home, the messages, the the calls, I was getting messages from people I'd never met before. People telling me how amazing that was and pick your head up. You didn't let anyone down and just the amazing support of the support system that I've built over all the years. And um, I think without them, it might have been a little bit tougher. Um, I'd like to think that I was tough enough in 17 years. I had it, but to have that kind of support system was, was incredible. And it definitely helped pick me up. And then just the shot at redemption, the three Olympics before this, we had one shot and that mistake, I would have been done. It would have been go home, see you in four years, maybe. But the fact that I had redemption just relit that fire. And it was like, all right, I'm going out there. And the goal was always the gold medal. It's always been the gold medal as I've, um, competed. But at this point, it was a little bit more like, you know what? I didn't prove anything to anyone. I wanted to show everyone back home that all those sacrifices that they saw me make through social media, all the things that I was doing, commuting an hour and a half to the gym, sleeping in a van, all that stuff was worth it. And if you're willing to do it, good things will happen. I wanted to prove that. And I wanted to prove to those people that thought I was crazy, that said, you're never going to make the Olympics at 40. And and I always told them, I said, my goal is not to make the Olympics, it's to go there and make some noise and to, and to be a threat. And I didn't do anything to prove any of them wrong. So I was like, oh man, I want this chance. And I was so excited, so fired up. And then the fact that you, you team me with the greatest female snowboard cross racer of all time, Lindsay Jacob Ellis, it kind of like, if I make a mistake, I know I have the goat ready to help me make up for that. So that allows me to get some pressure off of me and, and just race and have fun. And that brings it to another level. And, and I think that's what you saw. You saw me race at a completely another level because um, I was having fun and I had someone there to help me if I made a mistake. And then, then it was funny to hear it full circle. When I crossed the finish line in first, all she was worried about was like, I can't let Nick down. I can't let Nick down. And just to have someone that cares that much about your success and what you're doing, I think that's what made us uh, such a powerful team. Yeah. I mean, I was going to ask about, you were kind of just touching on it, but like, I personally feel like having teammates makes everything just like 10 times more fun and it's more like meaningful almost because we compete individually, but also, you know, in team boats. And I just feel like it's not that it's hard to push yourself individually. Like, of course, you know, as elite athletes, like we do that, but there's just something about having teammates relying on you that just like adds that extra motivation and I don't know it just I agree like pushes you to another level so 
Um, I, I think it's so ha- cool. knowing that they're relying on you makes you try harder, but it also makes you not worried so much because you know that they're the best too. They're here with you and they're going to do everything they can to make sure that you're successful. And it just, it get, it's like the perfect storm. Great things happen when that happens. Yeah, no, totally. So I'm not sure exactly how to phrase this question, but like, how have you kept coming back, I guess? Like, how is your life sustainable in a sense that you can keep doing this? Because it is pretty stressful to have the ups and downs of sports, you know? So how have you been able to sustain, you know, athletic life, especially in a in a sport that's not paying you millions of dollars and, you know, you're not a celebrity and, and that kind of thing? Well, I think when I get asked questions like this, the the biggest thing that keeps me motivated and going is when I started this career in 2004, I had a son in July, July 9th, 2004. So uh, that changed everything. I was, uh, I was a child. I was 22 years old. I was immature. I had no idea what the world was about. And I was focused on me. And then I had a child and it changed everything and it made it more about, not about just me. It was about someone else. I need to provide for this kid, but more importantly, I need to set an example for this kid. And so it's always been about showing my son because I think all parents out there know kids do not listen to their parents, but they can't help but watch us. They watch us and they know what we're doing and they learn from that. So it was always, I need to go out there and I need to show them that if you dream big and you work hard and you're willing to outwork everyone, good things will happen. So it was always about setting the example for my son. And now you fast forward. Now he's a, he's a sophomore at Michigan State University in an absolutely crushing life. And it just gives me a lot of pride to be able to do that. But it was always about making him proud, trying to be the cool dad. I wanted my kid to think that, to look up to me and think that I was cool and that I was awesome and that I wasn't just this guy being the rules and yelling at him and telling me he has to do this and he has to do that. I want him to learn from, from my actions and, and then I don't have to always tell him stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. I was going to ask like outside of snowboarding like and I'm sure it is your family and and you know maybe other things like what do you have that keeps you kind of grounded and like on an even keel because I feel like sports can be so up and down I think that all athletes need things that you know keep them from being so high and low right yeah well, um, I think for sure on the high side, so I can go and I can win a gold medal. And, and then I come home and I still got to pour concrete. Like I have to work to earn this. And I think that keeps me grounded. Having a real job uh, in the summertime to pay for this. And that's my favorite part is people don't understand that side of things. Like it is a very difficult thing to come up with the funds and the ability to do this, not just to pay for, for what we have to do, because some of my funding does come from my team, a lot of it, but I have to pay the bills. I have to support a child. I have a child that's going to college, all these different things. Um, it just makes you keep working and, uh, and I don't know, I, I, I get to travel the world. Life's not so bad. And, and I've always said, as long as I'm having fun and I'm competitive, which go hand in hand, I'm going to continue to do this because I love it. And it's because I, f- I was fortunate enough to find something that I truly was super passionate about and find a way to, to make that a job or 
one of my jobs because I, again, I do have to supplement that. Uh, yeah, I totally. And I mean, I understand like I'm also in a sport that I mean, I have a job as well. Like, I don't think people like understand. They're like, oh, so when you're working, you're not training. And you're like, no, no, I do both. Like, <laughs> you can't just take breaks. Like, that's not how it works. But I think it's great. You know, like, I think that you can be somebody outside of your sport while also trying to like kick ass in your sport and be the best athlete that you can be. So you know, I, I do think it's good to have sort of a well-rounded uh, life. And you have to learn how to make sacrifices. Holy cow. Like you can't, like your friends want to go out and do something. You can't, right? You can sometimes, but sometimes you just have to say, you know what? That's not aligned with my dream, my goals. I can't do that. If I want what I, what I'm trying to get, I just, I need to do things different and I need to look out for, for me and, and do the right thing. That's going to help me be successful. And that's the toughest thing. People get that uh, fear of missing out and they, they need to be a part of that. And man, if you can just sacrifice, make sacrifices to, to achieve that dream, it's so much better when you get there so much better. Having won an Olympic gold medal, like I think it's awesome that you're still competing. Do you feel like your sort of motivation and like goals have changed? Like you were saying, you know, you wanted to prove to all these people. Like I feel like you proved that. So now, what is your mindset like into training and competing now? So I, I just I do think that I'm very important to my snowboard team and the fact that when I show up to a training camp and I show up to a race, the last thing I want to do is look old, right? Well, the last thing that my teammates want to do is lose to someone older than their parents. So uh, all that hard work that I'm doing to make sure that I don't look old, old is inspiring them to make sure that they don't lose to an old guy. And it makes them put in that same kind of work. So um, I think it's very important. And uh, to me, I just think it's fun showing up like, how am I going to stack up this year? And, uh, and then when you get there and, and you find out that all the preparation and all the hard work you did, it kept you at that same level. It's pretty cool. No, totally. And I think it's so awesome. And I think that you're totally right. Like, you know, working hard and enjoying the process is like how you get where you want to go. But I think like, what advice would you have for people that are maybe like, it's not quite that easy. You know, of course, I'm sure you've had tons of setbacks. It's just easier said than done to, you know, have a setback and then keep going. So maybe like yeah. if something doesn't go the way you planned, are there any things that you do or like mantras you have or, you know, whatever to get yourself back going? Yeah, maybe. Um, I think it probably goes back to I think a lot of people are, are focused like what you just said a little bit ago they're focused on that end goal on that gold medal. Right. And I think we have to make smaller goals to get there, obviously. Right. And so obviously we don't want easy goals to make, but ones that are hard to reach, but still realistic. And the fact that you can still knock those out here and there and, and celebrate those small victories and keep going. Cause if you're just focused on, I need a gold medal, that'd have been 17 years of uh, not getting it. And um, it would have, I would have been devastated. It would have thrown me off my game and it wouldn't have worked. But by having these goals of uh, I want to get a little bit faster and, and competing more against myself than anyone else, um, I think it, it, it allows you to celebrate those little victories and keep that spirit alive and, and keep that drive and that determination. And then for me, I'm from a very small town in a very small community in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. 
And knowing that I'm not only representing the United States, but I'm representing my family, which is a huge family and we're all close. And I'm representing every single youper up here. And these are amazing people, incredible people. So I can't quit. I need to set an example for, like I said, my son, but for all the kids that are up here in the, in the upper peninsula, from all these small towns, because we have less opportunity than big school kids. We, we do. And a lot of people tend to look at that as like, that's a disadvantage. And I'm like, I disagree. I think it's the biggest advantage that we have because we have to work harder for it. No one's going to give us an opportunity. We need to go out there and fight for it. And then on that day, like on the top of the mountain in Beijing, you're more ready for it and you're set up for that success because you had to fight to get there. You didn't, nothing was handed to you. I think just looking at things a little bit different, a different mindset. Obviously, I'm never going to give up. I'm too stubborn for that. I'm too bullheaded. I I, I want what I want and I'm going to go out there and I'm going to get it. So I don't know. There's there's a bunch of different things because it is it's not as easy as just picking yourself up. But it's surrounding yourself with the right people. I have a support system that is so incredible. And it's all these people that live that are from these communities that I work in, I live in, and I train in. And um, having that kind of, it's important. Anything, what do they say? Anything um, worthwhile achieving is not done alone. And, mm-hmm. and it's so true. Without my support system, this journey doesn't even make it. Doesn't, I mean, it would have been over so soon without finding those kind of people to surround myself. And then the gold medal, I didn't win it by myself. I needed to have my teammate there to win it with me. And, um, and it just goes to show you, surround yourself with the right type of people. You want to be faster at something? Hang out with the faster people. You want to be less negative? Hang out with the positive people. You want to be more successful? Hang out with successful people. And it just goes to that. Surround yourself with the right people, and you can find a way for sure. It's not easy, but, but you can do it for sure. Yeah. You should be a motivational speaker. Oh, woo! Go get what you want, baby. <laughs> no. no, that's my goal. That's my goal with this book. That's my goal with um, with my whole journey. I love to speak at schools. I love to talk to kids. And now, I, when I hand them a gold medal, everyone's like, "You got your medal in your pocket, or it's in the truck, or it's in your backpack. It's always with me." And they're like, they want to like give me crap, like I'm bragging or something. I was like, "Listen, if you took this medal and you handed it to a kid, you watch your eyes just go like this." And you see all the opportunity and the, and the just the possibilities that open up in their mind. They're like, I can do it. And uh, that's the coolest part about all this. When I came back from the Olympics on February 15th, 2022, then until the uh, end of the school year, I did 53 appearances. Wow. One day I accidentally uh, misscheduled and I did five schools in <sighs> one day. Yeah, which was incredible. Incredible. Going in there and hearing these kids, USA. USA and to just see that passion and and I can't wait for 10 years from now when someone comes up to me and goes hey you know what you came and you spoke at my school and you let me hold your medal and guess what I got to do and then they tell me whatever the cool stuff is that they're doing that I think is the best thing that'll come out of that medal not being called the best in the world it's not bad it feels cool but those stories is what I can't wait for and I think that'll be the the best thing of ever bringing that medal home yeah wow that's so awesome. I don't know if there's anything I didn't ask you about that you really like want to share. Gold from Iron. I have all the links in my bios on my social media. Um, you can pre-order it on Amazon. You can go to nicks-bombgartner.com. You can't go to nickbombgartner.com because some troller stole my website. <laughs> 
Oh, the world's always out to get you. That's all right. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm so and I'm so excited to read it. I'm I'm super excited. I think it's going to be awesome, and everyone, yeah, should should buy it. And yeah, what are a, you doing? What are you doing an audio book as well? We are going to do an audio book, and everyone's like, "Are you going to read it?" And the first thing when they came to me, there's like, "Let a professional do it." That's not you, and and I'm I'm a hundred percent with it. But yeah, it's uh, there will be an audio book. Uh, I can't remember the date that that comes out, but um, no we're, we're in the process of picking the right person right now, trying to find somebody that sounds like me, someone that has a Midwest accent a little bit. That's awesome. But the audio book awesome. doesn't have the cool pictures. <laughs> I bought the real book, so everyone should buy the real right. book. I just I love audio books. I don't know. I think they're it's it's an accessible way to read, right? Well, absolutely. And that's what I found out when so doing this process. I read the book. We made a bunch of notes and changed a bunch of stuff. And then I had to read the book again. And I'm like, this is taking way too long. Like I spend so much time in the car driving places. I need to do this different. So I got Speechify, loaded it up, and then I listened to it like eight times. And I, I think Snoop Dogg read it to me once. Gwyneth Paltrow <laughs> read it to me once. It was just awesome to be able to drive and do that. And it made the process of editing so much more enjoyable because it didn't. it, it took me six hours to do the whole book rather than a week. Do you have uh, any opinions on Snoop Dogg apparently being a commentator on the uh, Summer Olympics this coming summer? Um, I guess I don't know. I, I think I saw him once where there was horses going. He's like, the horse is crip walking. Uh, as long as he can be respectful to the sport that he's commentating, I think absolutely. Why wouldn't you take a big name like that and add that to it? But it, it, I don't know. I would imagine that he's a professional and he would take it serious. But if he's just like coming up with funny stuff and, and joking the whole time and it takes away from the athletes and what they've done and the hard work that they've done, then I say no. But if he dives into it, I mean, he's a he's a very successful person. So I, I would imagine that he would just take that role, hopefully, and take it serious and dive into it and be good at it. And then in that case, absolutely. So um, I don't know. I guess Snoop Dogg needs to answer that question uh, on, on which way he would come into it. I mean, these people are putting their entire lives into this. So we, we need to give them the respect that they deserve. Uh, jokes once in a while are good, keeps it entertaining, but it needs to be about the athletes for sure. Yeah. No, I totally agree. It's like, it's not a joke to us, right? Like no, I spend all. my whole life because I'm trying to win a medal in Paris like you know it's not like yeah supposed to be funny of course like I think it's awesome and if he can do it in a great way then it's great and that's really cool but it's not a joke right so not at all it's, it's yeah. a tough uh yeah well maybe he'll see this uh podcast and he'll go <laughs> yeah. you know what well-spoken athletes I'm gonna do my homework and I'm gonna take this serious yeah, I have to assume that they would take it seriously. I feel like they're. I, I think know. so too. He's a professional yeah. guy, um, for sure, and he's very successful. So he knows how the world works. Um, he's been through a lot, right? So I would imagine he would he would take it serious and he would do a good job. Well, thanks so much. This has been so fun. So thanks for listening, and I hope everyone enjoyed that conversation with Nick and feels inspired to read his book to keep learning from him. I purchased it, and it's coming soon so I will read it and um, I feel like everyone should I think after listening to Nick you'll you'll feel inspired to read it so you can uh, see how to purchase gold from iron in the show notes and follow Nick on Instagram and social and stuff to to keep along with his journey 
So this week, I'm going to leave you with a few quotes from Phil Jackson's book. It's called Sacred Hoops. I read it in like one day, but it was very good. And I couldn't pick just one quote. So the first one is that good teams become great ones when the members trust each other enough to surrender from the me to the we. Truth. The second one is... Obviously, there's an intellectual component to playing basketball. Strategy is important. But once you've done the mental work, there comes a point when you have to throw yourself into the action and put your heart on the line. That means not only being great, brave, but also being compassionate towards yourself, your teammates, and your opponents. And the last one is the best part of winning, I heard someone say, is that it's not losing. <laughs> so... I really like this whole book. I would recommend it. It's a really quick read. And he's, you know, obviously a super successful coach and was a super successful athlete. And I think just takes a lot of different things into consideration into making teams successful. So it was really good. I would, I would recommend it. So thanks for listening and see you next week. Have a good one. I'd love to hear from you. So send us a topic suggestion, or if you'd like to submit a question for our Ask Christy Anything segment, head to our website, theother3years.com.